Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Yo, yo, what's going on, Affirminators? Welcome to another episode of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What's up, people? Uh, it has been a lot of big developments since the last time we have uh, come together to uh, participate in this phenomenon known yeah. as Affirmative Murder. Um, one, one of the cooler things that happened last week was the Golden State Killer was apprehended after something like 30 years of being on the run, maybe more than that. I think he was active in like the 80s. He was responsible for uh, 45 rapes, mm -hmm. 12 murders, and, and uh, they believe he committed over 120 home invasions. But he was apprehended thanks solely in part to DNA evidence, yeah, mm -hmm. um, which is continuing to be the juggernaut that is not only uh, exonerating people of crimes that they were put in jail for, but also catching people after they already thought, you know, oh, I'm, I got away with it. Oh, I'm sure he thought he was old. I'm sure he oh, thought yeah. he was never going to oh, get caught. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like 70-something yeah. years old, mm -hmm. and now he's playing, you know, real feeble. Like, I'm old. I, yeah, sure. I feel bad for me. Um, His name is uh Joseph James D'Angelo. We don't care what his name is. Well, I mean, it does need to be said because <laughs> because until he is convicted, he is a suspected, uh, sure. he is the suspected uh, Golden State Killer. He mm -hmm. is, but he is though. He did it. Yeah. Um. So, but we do. You know, I like to try to uphold the the values of, of justice system, mm -hmm. the criminal justice system, and I don't. You know, you're innocent until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. But I think we all know. You know. Yeah. And what's crazy is they said it was like a 23 and Me that got him. You know, like uh, the same way they got the Grim Sleeper where somebody's DNA in 23 mm -hmm. and me or another, whatever kind of those genetic um, swab tests that people are doing these days, mm -hmm. something that somebody ran the G somebody ran the, the DNA of that. And it was so close to the golden state killer that they were like, it's gotta be somebody right. related to this person. And they staked out his house for like days. Wasn't he a, a, a police, a police he officer? He was a police officer at the time of when the he was murders. Doing it. Right. Right. And, when they caught him, he stole some stuff from a store. He stole a uh, uh, dog repellent and a hammer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the police were like, why'd you steal this for, man? What's up? That's what he got fired for, right? No, he didn't get oh. fired. They said, hey, well, this was kind of weird. So we're either going to do an investigation into your history and what, you, what you've been doing for mm -hmm. the last few months, or you can quit. But they said that like, 
well, we're just going to do this quick little thing. Mm-hmm. But if you don't want, if you don't want to get that done where we dive into your history, then the only other option is quit. And he was like, well, I'll, I quit. And <laughs> thanks. And uh, here's my resignation. Here's my gun and my badge. And nobody was like, you're just going to give up a job and mm-hmm. a pension over some dog repelling and a hammer. Cause he had fun killing people. That's why. Yeah, Raven but nobody, people. that wasn't a red flag to people like, uh, yeah, oh, no, I'm talking rather, about for him, though. Oh, yeah, he was like, I'm not going to, yeah, no, I, have I just quit. Full, I, just I have another full-time people. job. Yeah. yeah, but at the time when, when he got discovered and they were sco- scoping his house out, he didn't, he wasn't doing anything. In fact, he didn't leave the house for a couple of days when they were scoping him out because they were hoping he'd leave, spit on the ground, drop some gum, whatever. Mm-hmm. And oh, they was trying to pull that shit. They were trying to get some DNA from him uh-huh. in that kind of way, but he didn't. Spit so, on the ground. <laughs> yeah, but that's what they were hoping for, you know, something. And he would never leave. He never left the house. Uh-huh. And that actually ties into, I don't want to get ahead because, you know, we got a formula here. But my uh, my case for this week ties into uh, so how big of a how big DNA is and how, what a what a revolution has been since it mm-hmm. started being implemented more regularly. Yeah, mine, too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, but yeah, other than that, that was kind of some cool news that I wanted to, you know, everybody's talking about it. Everybody's doing the story now mm-hmm. on all these true crime podcasts since it's like hot right now and shut Twitter down the day that the news came out, but we're kind of late on it cause we haven't recorded. So I wanted to just at least touch on it mm-hmm. just to, you know, cause this, the community, well, we don't need in. to do it. So. Oh no, I'm not, no. I'm not, I'm just saying oh, okay. I wanted to at least mention, right, right. bring attention right. to it that, you know, we know what's going on mm-hmm. cause we are kind of like the how high guys <laughs> of the true crime world where people might be like, oh, they just, they might, they don't know what's going on with everything. Wrong. We got Twitter. Yeah, we, we know media. what's up. We know right. what's going on. We know what's popping in the I TC read, world. I read, I read the story. That's yeah, I, we yeah. know what's going on. So I just wanted to put it out there that, like, yes, we acknowledge that that uh-huh. happened. That's awesome that they got caught. Uh, big kudos to DNA evidence, and we're just going to move on from that and continue to follow the story as it develops, mm-hmm. and hopefully this guy gets, you know, the conviction that we all believe he deserves based on DNA evidence. Anyway, moving on. What's going mm-hmm. on, Fran? Nothing much to get off work. That's about it. That's a cool hat. Thank Happy you, man. birthday. Yeah, it was a birthday present. How was um, it? My birthday was nice, man. Um, got some Jordans, dude. Um, no, oh, got bad I don't wear. I don't wear. <laughs> I don't wear Jordans. I'm currently. These might look like my feet, but the, these are those shoes that look like feet. I oh, just the got them in the brown. Like, uh, the running shoes. You got them in brown. I just got them in brown. It's just a very convenient skin tone color. Uh, my birthday was really, really great. Um, Sunday. What happened on Sunday? Today's Tuesday. Just yes. for anybody. Today's May 1st. Mm-hmm. Um, so my birthday was April 30th. Uh, just for posterity, and if somebody's listening to this in uh, 2019 or if somebody's listening to this six months from now, this is, we are recording on May 1st, mm-hmm. just so everybody knows. So hello, hello from the past. Um, <laughs> Sunday took it pretty easy. We, Saturday, me and my mom and my, and my girlfriend, we went out to dinner okay. to this place called Food Market. Has some very delicious medium rare wagyu beef. Mm. Um, we shared a bunch of small plates. It was kind of like a tapas place where you, you know get get plates and everybody eat off the plates. Mm-hmm. There was only three of us. Food was delicious. Had lobster fingers, delicious. Mm. I mean, like they took lobster meat and fried it like chicken fingers. Oh, okay. I don't mean lobsters don't have fingers. <laughs> you looked at I'm, you looked at me weird. Like I they don't, I don't have fingers. I don't I don't I don't study sea. Uh, you know, well, it's, know, a, so. it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shellfish, so it, it doesn't have hands. The one you ain't probably had hands, maybe they just fried them up. You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> um. Anyway, dinner was great. Had a great time. Sunday, I took it easy. Watched LeBron James uh, conquer the seventh game and yeah. move on. Uh-huh. You know, and that was great as well. Yesterday uh, was the was my actual birthday, 
And what I did on that day was that's Bella, my dog. Mm-hmm. What I did, what I did yesterday was I woke, I took the day off, and I said I need to go see uh, Avengers: Infinity War. Oh, you saw it? Yeah, I had to because the memes are starting. Oh, okay. Where the ruin the movie memes are coming, where it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. hey, something big from the movie happened, and I I make it tie into something about pop culture. Funny, right? <laughs> Only if you saw the movie. But right. if you didn't see the movie, it also spoils the movie for right. you. So those memes are starting to roll out. I ignore them. I like to look past them. But they're hard to ignore. I, I well, once a, you see uh, very, what's the name on it, you just I just keep on going. Yeah, but I have a memory like a steel trap. Like yeah, I know. I, I, I heard like. When like Game of Thrones is on break right now, but I will be at a bar having talk, and you'll talk to somebody that, like reads the books, cool. and they'll be like, "Da da 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 happened," and the show might be on hiatus for another six months, and when that six months is up, I still remember that bar conversation. Mm-hmm. So when it starts to play out in the show, and you see you like know the, you see that kind of that pathway, like it's leading to that, you're like, "That guy was right," and now I already know what's going to happen, so I won't it ruined be, it. I won't be as surprised. It doesn't ruin it, but it it, it takes but away it's that still... it takes away that like oh, oh, oh what. That still ruins it's, it's it. It's like a, a little bit. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it does. Because that's the most exciting part. You're like, oh, the build up. See, right. and then I, that part's <laughs> wrong. Yeah, that's true. But so I wanted to knock that out of the way. What I did was um, Sierra would have gone with me for me. So I was like, oh, you know okay. what? It's going to be busy. This movie's the biggest thing in the you world. You by yourself? Yeah, I went by myself. Why you by me? It was during the middle of the day. I was off yesterday. Oh. Were you working? Yeah. Yeah, I was off. So I went, I went at like one. That's what that's how I would go. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I went on one o'clock on a Monday. I went to the Cine Bistro. If anybody doesn't have a Cine Bistro in their city, this place is amazing. I went to Cine Bistro. I treated myself. I need to go, man. Yeah, Cine Bistro, and it's dope. It's just as dope going by yourself. Now it is a date uh, movie theater. Mm-hmm. It's twenty one and over, and the, the seats are in pairs. Mm-hmm. I got one seat, and I was like, "Well, since it's a couples movie theater, if I just get the one, I'm sitting by myself. I right. double up. I can put my food in the other seat and relax, mm-hmm. kick back." I was wrong. I had a Somebody came and they bought the other seat, but oh. still it didn't take away from my theater experience. Went to the movie. The movie was great. It was it was it was emotional. All these other kind of things. Wait, wait, happened. wait. So do you sit next to somebody? Well, yeah. Do you share ideally, a table? Well, how does it? I don't even know how it works. Well, you have your own setup. It's almost like it's a fancy version of being a piece of shit uh, Midwestern fat slob, where okay. you're sitting in a recliner basically, and you just got a little swivel table in front of you where you would eat your TV dinner if you were poor trash. But in this case, they bring you, you know, five-star cuisine, and you just got a little swivel table that swings close to so you. So it's set up like this? It's set up like, and by this, yes, I have recliners up here in the, in the, oh, in the yeah, Affirmative sorry. Murders Illustrious Studios. It's like these recliners right here, except right where this arm is, uh, there's uh-huh. a wooden table that swings and around. Okay, And you gotcha. put your food on that. Oh, okay. Yeah, went, oh, had right. a great time. I got truffle fries, a steak salad, a banana mm. cheesecake. Everything Damn. was delicious. The movie theater experience was divine. I got it out of the way, so now nobody can spoil the movie for me. I come home, right? Mm-hmm. Come home. Sierra came home. I had I requested a nice big salad for dinner. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to eat more greens, more mm-hmm. leafy greens. I was like, you know what? We're trying to turn the backyard into an oasis, right? So we okay. got some nice patio furniture. I'll show you after we finish recording. Okay. And we got like kind of this little Zen square set up. Uh-huh. I think you saw that, but it was so, nothing on it. So it just looks together. Right, yeah. But now it's starting to come together. Okay. We got a fire pit out there. So I was cool. like, you know what? Let's eat outside. I go and start the fire up. Mm-hmm. Got a nice fire going. We out in the backyard eating salad. I got the speaker out there listening to some folk music. Mm. You know, a little hound mouth. A little bit of uh, Chris Stapleton for those of you out there, you know, who, you know, uh, are into um, dope music. Some just some small ones. Those, you know, Chris Stapleton, big name. Uh, ate the dinner. Everything was great. The sun started to go down. Sierra was like, I'm, you want to open your presents up out here? I was like, yes. So she brings the presents out, uh, opened the first gift. It was an Ohio Mark shirt. 
Now, for those of you who, some people are going to get that immediately. For those who don't, I'm going to explain it real quick. I don't want to go too much into depth. Um, oh, hi, Mark is from this movie called The Room. Uh, last year, there was, or this year, um, they, uh, James Franco did uh, like a biography or like a biopic on this movie. Mm-hmm. This movie's the worst movie that's ever been made. It's called The Room. But it was so, it's so bad that it's hilarious. Like, it's supposed to be a drama, but it's acted so bad and everything about it is just terrible. So it's hilarious. And it became this big thing mm-hmm. where people hate watch it because it's so funny. Right. James Franco went and remade the movie, but like told the story of what the guy that made the movie was doing when he wasn't making the movie, like how he got the money and all this kind of stuff. Hilarious. And one of the lines from that movie, The Room, is, Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, and okay. I love that movie. And it's hilarious. So she got me a shirt that says that on there. Real, it doesn't have any pictures, doesn't say the name of the movie, so it's like one of those shirts where you either get it or you're like, what the hell does that shirt mean? And those are my favorite <laughs> yeah, kind of like shirts. Yeah, like me, because I wouldn't know. Yeah, those are my favorite kind of shirts okay. where it's like when somebody comes up to you and is like, oh, they're like, you you guys can become friends after like that. Like that George they, Bush t-shirt you used to wear. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly. Um, uh, It's like people get it, so they're like, oh, man, that's hilarious. And uh, you're like, oh, you you are on the same wavelength as me. You're, right. You like the same shit I like. So that was cool. Second gift, I got Sierra went and got me a handmade, I don't know if she got it made on the internet or something like that, a cereal and cereal bowl. Mm-hmm. I saw and it. That was super that was cool. dope. I put that up on the um, Facebook group. I also want to say thank you to everybody on the Facebook group and on Twitter that wished me happy birthday and just sent me positive vibes. I thought that was, you know, that would be my good vibes of the week, but that's selfish. I, so I'm not going to do that, but I just appreciated the love sent um, from us because... I mean, sent to us because we appreciate you guys very much for listening to us, you know, ramble on and try to turn this into something cool. So thank you very much for that. I just want to say. And uh, then the the cherry on top of everything, put the fire out, go in the house. Right. And I mentioned this before on another. It was on um, it was on the episode of, of Serial and Serial where we talked about what we would eat when, for, you know, we died. I think right. Paradise Lost or whatever. Uh-huh. I can't remember which movie we did right at, at this minute. But we go in the house and I asked Sierra, I said, if you get a chance, you know, if you pass a cookie store. I don't want it because she's like, you want a cake? I said, no, I don't want a cake. But if you pass like a cookie store, I'd love some Snickerdoodles. Mm-hmm. So we come in the house. She's like, oh, I didn't get a chance to get some Snickerdoodles. Um, so sorry. And I was like, it's no, whatever. You know, I, I <laughs> ate. I'm cool. Uh-huh. And then she goes into a bag mm-hmm. uh, by the door, pulls out this big brown bag, and it says Maggiano's on it. Now, on the episode of Serial and Serial, for those of you who heard, I said this Italian restaurant name wrong. I said, I want this kind of cake. I would eat this kind of cake for my last meal because it's my favorite. It's delicious. It, and it's, I said like pastelellos or something. I made up I made up an Italian name. <laughs> the name of the restaurant is Maggiano's. Okay. And the cake is called Gigi Butter Cake. Hmm. So she pulls the bag out after she just told me like, I couldn't get you snickerdoodles, so sorry. So I'm like, oh, well, whatever. I don't need dessert. Hmm. I'm an adult. I don't need cake or snickerdoodles or whatever. Pulls the bag out. I said, I said no, you did not because it's in Colombia. Hmm. And, you know, I, people that aren't, don't live in Maryland, Columbia. It's a it's a forty five minute to an yes. hour drive depending on traffic. Like it right. it is the opposite direction of the way we live. So she drove out there and then drove back forty five minutes to point A, which is her job, and then another fifteen minutes to home. So she drove an hour to go get this this uh, cake essentially, and I love her for it because it was delicious. And on top of that, because mm-hmm. it's my birthday, when she went to the place, they messed up because you know she was waiting around for the cake to come out, and the guy that takes the to go orders was like. Where's that cake, man? With this lady's been out here waiting for whatever. Mm. He didn't know what the cake looked like. The cake had been sitting right there the whole time, so the cake had got cold. Mm. So they felt bad, so they gave her another cake for free. So they gave her two cakes. I got a Gigi butter cake sitting down on the counter for when we finish recording. I'm gonna eat it after this. I'm gonna get some because I never you had. You can before. have a slice. I'm telling you, I don't. I don't even have to want to go into, into right. detail with, with you. I just want to let you know you never had nothing like it. Okay. It was deli- It's like a donut cake. It's incredible. I can't wait to try. Oh my but god. What about the hat? 
Oh, this is a Los Angeles uh, Golden Knights hockey team hat. I okay. believe they're in the playoffs right now. This That's is the a first cool hat. It's, thank you. It's the first team that Las Vegas has ever had. I used to live in Las Vegas. Like we had college teams and everything like that, but they never had a team that is a professional team to wear shit. So you go around Vegas, people got on Cowboys jerseys and Packers jerseys, and because nobody. Not a lot of people are born in Vegas. Everybody right. kind of emigrates to Vegas from uh -huh. another place. So it's no hometown vibe mm -hmm. unless you see like a like a, a UNLV Rebels jersey or something like college. Right. But this team is the first professional team, even though it's hockey. I don't watch hockey, but it's like, yeah, you know. The home Still cool. Oh, hat. I hit my Damn. Mic. Wow. Sorry, I hit the shit out of the mic. <laughs> but it's like hometown vibes. You know, you feel good. You see somebody repping your town, mm -hmm. and they're doing good apparently. I think they're in the playoffs or whatever. I don't know for sure because I don't watch hockey. But anyway, um, so yeah, that was my birthday. Uh, cool. It was exciting. great. I loved it. I had a great time. Thank everybody for all the love. Whether you're listening or not, I just want to put it out into the universe if you're not listening. Thank everybody who sent me positive vibes. And um, since we're on this wave of positive vibes, we might as well, you know, get into these good vibe segments. So let's do that. All right, folks, here we go. We got another good vibe segment of the week to get into before we really dive into the fucked up shit. So, uh, Fran, uh, do you have a good vibes to give me and pass on to me through my spirit for this week? Yeah. Um. So let me let me get through my story first before I won't you. Say anything. Okay. I won't right, say cool. anything. So my good vibe story this week is about Shakim Shakim Griffin. Mm -hmm. Okay. You heard, have you heard of him? No. He's a football player. Um, so oh, the draft the guy with the hand. Yeah, so the draft okay. just went past NFL draft. Anybody watch sports? <clears throat> so this guy, um, Shaquem Griffin, mm -hmm. also has a twin brother named Shaquille Griffin. I didn't know that. But yeah, Shaquem uh, was born with. Um, let's see, I'm trying to say this right. Amniotic band syndrome. Okay. So it affected his left hand, causing his fingers and his left hand to not fully develop. Mm, okay. So at the age of four, his mother found him in the kitchen attempting to use a butcher knife to. To cut off his hand because oh. it was it was he like was, he was so much it was it caused oh, it pain hurt. yeah oh. it caused pain so he just like wow. I at, I get at age four he's like I want to get I don't want it I don't yeah. want it anymore so um his mom ended up setting up a surgery to get the hand cut off oh wow so he doesn't have that like his like his hand it's from just, the wrist yeah it's from the wrist it's like okay. his forearm that's it so okay. it's his hand and his wrist is gone but that didn't stop him of you know going shooting for his dreams as being a football player absolutely so um. He went to, he went to U. I believe he went to UCF. He went to UCF college football. Okay. His brother went to UCF also. That's but cool. his brother had. He's got both uh, hands. Yeah, he both has both hands. But also, his brother had multiple scholarships from different schools. But, but he said, "I'm not going to go to none of those schools unless you take my brother." Also. Wow. Right. So, both of them end up going to UCF. So I thought. I thought that was pretty cool. So I didn't hear anything about his brother getting drafted. So it sounds like he outshined his, his brother. No, his brother got drafted. I was gonna get to that. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm so, sorry. um, yeah. So the draft came up. So this dude with one hand, and the draft combine. This dude ran a four, a four three. So oh, for wow. anybody that doesn't watch sports, that is fast that's for really a six foot, two hundred twenty seven pound guy. Four that's, three is fast for anybody. That's a linebacker. He's yes. a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. Also, for anybody who doesn't watch sports, four three is fast for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but for that size, that's yes. that's ridiculous. Right. Um. So yeah. So he he. Got a lot of he. He was a national champion in 2017. Uh -huh. He was on ESPN all. He was an ESPN All Bowl team. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a Peach Bowl champion. Mm -hmm. He was a two-time, first-time, 
first team All ACC uh, player. Salute. He's a AAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2016. Mm. So he he got all these awards and he only has one hand. That's crazy. Right. Give, give, let's, just, we're gonna give a round of applause. Yes, definitely, definitely, definitely. Round of applause. Yes, keep it going. Yes. Yes. Wow. So, yeah. So, um, his brother Shaquille was drafted 2017 by um the the Seattle Seahawks. Okay. Oh um, wait. Come this draft. His brother was also drafted yeah. this year by the Seattle yeah. Seahawks. Yeah. So I wow. did the story because I thought it was cool. That's very cool. Also, I, I, I just I commend this guy because just because you have a disability doesn't mean you can't you can't accomplish your dreams. A hundred thousand percent. And that goes for anybody, adults, children, yes. anybody. Hard work and dedication yeah. can beat most adversities. Right. You know, I mean, shout out to Sha- Shaquem Griffin. Shaquem, yep. So that's and Sha- that's super cool that him and his brother get to be on the same yep, team. Yep, that's cool. Yep. That's so very that's, cool. That's Shaquem Griffin. That's very cool. Um, my good vibes of the week is um comes from more of a place of nostalgia uh, rather than inspiration. Uh, yesterday or Sunday, I believe, uh, there was a reunion. Mm-hmm. This reunion has been eighteen years in the making. Uh, it it. It, it, it shattered my mind when I heard about it. When I saw the photos, I couldn't believe it. Um, some of you might know where I'm going. Some of you might not. But what I want to say is I am a diehard fan of early 2000s pop music. The Christina Aguilera's, mm-hmm. the, the Dreams, uh, Shaggy, uh, It Wasn't Me, all of that music. Britney, you know, every, Britney Spears. I love that music because it just makes me feel like I'm eight again and I'm riding on a bus to school and you just hear what's on the radio. When I hear uh, it, I, I can go back to 2099. Sean Paul. Yeah, Sean Paul, right. early J-Lo, yep. you know, all that. Ladies and gentlemen, NSYNC had a reunion on Sunday because they have been given Hollywood stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. So for the, this, the last time I remember seeing them together is Justin Timberlake, who is... The juggernaut of nobody else made it in that band. The Beyonce, other than he is the Beyonce right. of NSYNC, and uh, he was doing a, a show like on the VMAs or something, and he gracefully allowed these peons <laughs> that have you know wh- who they've become mm-hmm. to grace his stage, and you know, ladies and gentlemen, NSYNC. But mm-hmm. I'm not in. He point over to the other four guys like that's NSYNC, <laughs> and I'm Justin Timberlake. That's NSYNC. Right. I used to be NSYNC, but I'm not anymore. That's them. Give it up for them. Mm-hmm. He did that. That was the last time I saw them together. That had to be four or five years ago. But, they, I mean, they do play a big part in his career. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I want to be clear with something. You can say whatever kind of jokes about you want, you want to make about Chris Kirkpatrick, mm-hmm. J.C. Chazé, Joey Fatone, Lance, ba- Lance Bass. But at one point, these men needed to be escorted by tanks and generals mm-hmm. to get to the stadium to do what they had to do. NSYNC was the biggest band. One Direction, all that shit... Before all that was this band, and every single one of those dudes has slayed women and men, because Lance is a homosexual man, and that's great. I know that. and so they, yeah, and he he he's dope. He he went to space. He's really cool. So they were they've <laughs> slayed men and women all on every continent, everywhere. It's just that Justin Timberlake was able to sustain that level of fame. Mm. But all these guys, at one point, you know, the president knew their name. They have millions of fans. Like they're all they've all been as big as whatever pop star you want to name right. today. They've all experienced that, but their star has dwindled down. And But it was really cool to see all of them in one picture. It was super dope, and I loved it, and I thought it was just – it was nostalgia met and fulfilled. And mm-hmm. I, I know we're not going to get a tour out of it. I think that would be the coolest thing, but Justin Timberlake is like, nah, man, I'm not – Yeah, I'm me. I'm not – this photo, take the photo, I'll smile, but – after this, I'm going back to go it's, film it's, a movie It's levels to this. He's on another yes. level Yes. Right he would be doing them a favor yeah. by oh, yeah, bringing definitely. them on a tour. Mm-hmm. And he, I'd be like, we're going to split this uh, 
uh, 70, 30. Mm. And I get 70%, and then y'all can split up the 30 <laughs> however y'all do such. That's honest. That's though. none of my concern. Right. But it would be completely justified right. in doing so. Yep. But the good vibes was just the nostalgia of it all, seeing that, people seeing that photo and being taken back to being a kid and, you know, girls being at the Justin Timberlake, I mean, the NSYNC concert with the, oh my God, marry me, Lance. Mm. Even though they were barking at the wrong tree, because like I said, Lance is gay. But marry me, Lance, <laughs> I love you. You know, so I, I think that was like super cool to just have that. Every now and then you get a little taste of nostalgia, sometimes in a bad way, sometimes in a good way. This was one t- in a good way. Mm. Sometimes you'll see like, you remember uh, Aaron Carter? This is what Aaron Carter looks like now. And you're like, damn, what happened, bro? <laughs> But this was like nostalgia in a good way. Like, look at this. Remember, look at they got they got stars on the Walk of Fame. Mm-hmm. Remember how fun they were. So I thought this was really cool, and that was my good vibes of the week. But how do you? I feel like it's probably super difficult to to have that life and to be, be that regular. famous, and then just to be yeah. A, it's, that's insane. A lot of college um, football players and basketball players go through depression after they graduate. Oh yeah, if they don't go to the next level because you were like a gladiator. Right. You know what I mean? Like you, you were, were on top. In front of 40,000 yeah. right. people. Right. You got the winning touchdown. Ah, crowd goes crazy. And now you work at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Right. And somebody's giving you attitude about the Rent-A-Car. You're like, man, I used to be a god. That's crazy, you know? right. But that's even higher level than that, being a guy who was on private jets to Korea to sing at a sold-out stadium of Korean people who don't speak English. And that's now crazy. you work for a serious satellite radio station or something. You know, like it's... It, it is a come down, but I think if you have a level head and you just realize, like, this was a moment and mm-hmm. it was a great moment and now I don't have to work again unless I want to and just take it for that and let your star die out gracefully mm-hmm. instead of trying to be like, I'm going to go be on Celebrity Rehab or I'm going to go do a crazy internet show or I'm going to pull a stunt to be relevant again. Mm-hmm. If you just bow out gracefully, I think people respect you more and the opportunities come in other ways where people True. are like, man, remember how cool he was? That that was a big moment in time. Hey, you want to come do our show? And not mm. in a funny, make fun of you way. Like, just because we respect you. Mm-hmm. You can only make people lose respect for you. Right. People don't just lose respect for you. Like, this Kanye West situation, we won't dive into because we got a show to do. And we talked about fucked up shit here. And we will dive into it. But this whole Kanye West thing, like, anybody who's, like, not listen does it like, I'm not going to listen to Kanye West music anymore or any that kind of shit. He's making those people feel that way. He's... It's you know you can say people are sheep or whatever, but he's saying something that people are not agreeing with, and they're like, but it's at a level where it's like, oh, you're like everything I've known about you is a lie. Because if this is how you feel, Man, then that guy lost his goddamn mind. Yeah, and it's gotten crazy. <laughs> like since like since today, a whole bunch of crazy shit has come out. He went on TMZ and came out with an interview with Charlemagne the God. So tomorrow, oh, which will be May second. Even it's gonna be even more Kanye West hate because I've heard I listened to the interview and I listened I to the TMZ thing. Oh, go home and watch the TMZ thing. It's crazy. He said slavery was a choice, but oh. I'm not even gonna get into that too much. Um, because we're gonna continue to ride. ride the, we're gonna continue to ride these good waves. So, um, um, in commemoration of In Sync and that wonderful time in pop music, and because of today's date, I'm gonna leave us out. I'm gonna take us out on a little bit of um. It's gonna be May by In Sync. So, um, we'll be right back, and when we come back. I'm going to tell you some fucked up shit, so stay tuned. All right, and we are back. Fran, I believe you closed out the show last week, so it is your turn to go first. 
So if you don't mind, if you could tell me your affirmative murder for this week. So my affirmative murder this week is Louis Garavito. Oh, yeah. Um, Garavito. It gets a little, just to be uh, say this beforehand, it gets kind of a little uh, detailed in the crime. So just to be aware. <clears throat> You mean like from a gruesome standpoint? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Just, just, uh, just um, I don't, viewer, I, yeah, that's what, that's listen what to is. discretion yep. is advised. Yeah. There you go. So, um, yeah, Louis Garavito was uh, born January twenty fifth, nineteen fifty seven. He is from Colombia, and the reason why I did this because I was like, hmm, you know, Sophie is, which is my daughter, is Salvadorian and part Colombian. So I was oh. like, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try to find one there. Touch the roots. So he was the eldest of seven brothers. Mm. Garavito lived in lived in a home where he was physically and emotionally abused by his alcoholic father. Mm. In his testimony, Garavito Garavito also described being subjected to sexual abuse. Oh wow! So we kind of always by his father. Yeah, so oh, we kind of wow. know where this leads to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, his unsta- his unstainable uh f- family living situation, among other reasons, led him to flee home. At age 16, an attempt to start a life away from his family. He started working as soon as he left home, traveling um, a substantial, substantial amount to keep up with the job demands in Colombia. Okay. Although he frequently moved, Garavito had a girlfriend. His girlfriend had a small, um, a small child, which he uh. recalls him getting along with very well. Uh. Garavito was known by his friends to be kind, yet easily angered. Uh, all right. <laughs> so uh, I've Gar- never heard a person be described as those two things before. Right, right. So Garavito's victims were clearly identified by their by their age, gender, and social status. Garavito's tar- targeted boys between the ages of six to sixteen, who were either homeless, peasants, or orphans. He would approach the young boys either on a crowd on the crowd streets or alone in the countryside and lure them away by bribing them with small gifts as money, candy, or odd jobs. Mm. He offered easy work for money and even disguised himself as different characters who could be seen legitimately offering work to the boys such as a priest, wow. a farmer, a homeless man, a street vendor, a drug dealer, and an elderly man, mm. and a gambler. What is a gambler dressed like? I don't know. It gets like sunglasses and I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> when you get to that level, there's something extra diabolical right. about what, where do you get disguises from? And He and probably what has do wigs. You, and yeah, like, and then to be like, oh, this person does this, so they probably will fall for the priest right. disguise. Or this person, I'm going to do a gambler disguise for this person. Mm. That's crazy. But that's That's just... That's too much work. That's, for me, it's just that's just way too much. You don't love the game like he loves the game. That's just way too much work. You don't like killing little boys. That's insane. That's the difference. You got you, six disguises. Probably more than that. These are just right. the most notable right. ones. Yeah, you might have right, tried right. some ones that didn't work. Right. Like, like, I'm no, a garbage man. This ain't gonna oh, work, garbage. Yeah. Kids don't want garbage candy from a garbage man. <laughs> right. Throw this disguise away. Yeah. So, um, to prevent suspicions about. Suspicions about his activities from developing, Garavito would change his disguise often. So he probably just did this like every day or something like. I don't know. Um, once he had the trust of a child, Garavito would walk the walk with the boy until they were tired, vulnerable, which then made it easy to handle. Wow. Well, they children anyway. So I mean, yeah. you're a grown man. You are the children, and you're like tiring them out. Like right. you're a hunter for deer. Like you right. walk them till they get sleepy. 
make it extra easy. Right. That's gross. Um. So first, their hands, their hands were bound. Then Garavito would remove all their clothes and proceed torture, rape, and sometimes decap- decapitate them. Usually, the boy usually the boy would endure prolonged rape and torture by having his buttocks stabbed and sharpened sharp sharpened objects entered his enter their anus. Sodomy. His testicles were often se- severed and placed into his mouth. Oh. The bodies of the children were all found completely naked, and the bore and the bore bite marks and signs of anal penetration. Bottles of lubricant were found near the bodies, along with empty liquor bottles. Along with empty liquor bottles, most corpses show signs of prolonged torture. That's these are kids. That's despicable. These are not, and then now it just because they're some of these kids are homeless kids, like they have no, no adult nothing, has ever. They've never nothing. trusted an adult, right. and then the one time they trust an adult, he does all this shit to them. And and the reason why before, I'm about to get into the investigation now, but as they have a they has a um a video on YouTube and. It was like these kids, since they were homeless, they had no. How do you figure out? How do you figure or try to figure out who these kids were? It was difficult because for one, they, they were homeless and, and they didn't have any money, so they didn't have any families, and they didn't have dental records. Yeah. So what they would do is they would get these bones and they would try to hire these, these these sculptors to 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 try to make them look to find out what they look like. These yeah. sculpts of these faces, and it was like that's and it was like they that's it's, really hard. They was like this is extremely difficult because some people you know. Eyes are lower than the others. Right. Just little stuff like that. It just it was hard to do. Wow. Um, in the beginning of 1992, boys between the ages of six through 16 began disappearing rapidly from the streets of Colombia. Colombia. <sighs> I'm sorry. That's gross. Yeah. Due to the decades-long civil war, many children in Colombia were poor, homeless, or orphaned. For years, these murders had gone unnoticed because many of these victims had many of the victims had no police filed for their disappearance. So nobody, homeless kids again. Nobody was looking for these yeah. these kids. Clusters of bodies be, be, had had begun to po- popping up all over Colombia. Yet authorities did not take much notice until 1997, when when a mass graves were uncovered. Mm. Large number of missing children called called for a widespread investigation. So and, he was burying them all in the same spot. Yeah, and these it's amazing how many. I'll get to it though. All these killings were not confined to a specific area. In February 1988, outside the town of Genova, Colombia, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, two bodies of uh, two bodies of two naked children were found lying next to each other on a hill. Mm. The next day, only meters away, another child's naked body, naked body was found. All three bodies had been hands bound, um signs of rape, the anus were the anus was tore open. Oh. These victims' necks were severely cut, bruises on their backs, genitals and legs, and buttocks. Mm. The murder weapons found in the same area as the bodies, and a note that had been found at the crime scene had a address written on it. This information led to Garavito's girlfriend. Wait, like he must have dropped a note. He something. He fucked up somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she was contacted, told the police she had she hasn't seen Garavito in months. She did, however, give the police a bag that he had left in her left in her possession, which contained a number of Garavito's belongings. These items included pictures of young boys, detailed mm. journeys journals of his murders, tally marks of his victims, and bills. What do you mean you didn't? I guess she was like, "Well, it's none of my business." Yeah, she had to look through it. Well, in a lot of those South American countries, like women are very uh, submissive. Mm. And, you know, uh, because the men 
culturally and uh, traditionally run the household. It's the same thing in America. Women mm-hmm. go through a lot of shit. But like it's like the loyalty. Well, that's is that's his study or that's right. his den. So whatever is in there, I don't touch. Right. That's I'm not allowed to. <laughs> right, right. You know. So I I I don't fault her as much in a situation where. If it was like, if it came out that she was covering up or mm-hmm. knew, it, but her just being like, that's his stuff. That's I don't, his stuff. I don't, I don't know what it. it is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't touch it, you know. Got his bills and shit in there. Like, yeah. You kept your bills. That's correct. You kept your bills with your tally <laughs> of boys that right. you kill. That's like very, that's, but that's, that's how, um, how much they distance them, themselves from the things that they do that mm-hmm. they can, they can go like, oh man, look at all these boys I killed, and like, oh, I forgot to pay the cable bill. Like right. they can do those things. It's just like in that normal. Kind of order, that's crazy. Know? Yeah, it, I mean, that's it's it's mental. It's mental disorder. It's, um, it's... yeah. So the new information led them to Garavito's residence, but the property was vacant. Detectives believe that Garavito was either traveling for work or away attempting to find his next victim. Mm. He was picked up by the local police just a few days later on an unrelated charge of attempted rape against an adolescent boy. A homeless man had had been close enough to observe the struggle between Garavito and the child, so he slipped up. Yeah, and it felt and felt it necessary to rescue the adolescent boy. So shout outs to uh, this homeless guy. Yeah, um, if you he, see something, say something. Man. Right. So he was arrested, and he was arrested. The police had their custody had their custody the man who was most who was the most wanted killer in Colombia, and this is. When I get to the um, sentencing, it's crazy. Um, Garavito was arrested on April 22nd of 1999 on separate charges of attempted rape. Garavito was questioned about the local killings and his attempted rape charges. Police speculated that Garavito had planned on killing the young boy if the bystander had not interceded. Mm, of course he did. Yeah. So after a short interrogation, um, detectives the suspect suspected Garavito of being a la biesta, which is the beast. Oh, uh, although Garavito had insisted on his innocence, the detailed description of his killings brought Garavito to tears. The detective? No, brought him to tears. Oh, him saying what he did made him cry. Yeah, right. Oh, get the fuck out of here. Right. Um. Fuck you. For Colombia, for Colombia's Justice Department, Garavito's confessions was not enough. Garavito had an eye condition, which was rare and only. This is also how they call him. How they knew it was him. He had an eye condition, which was rare. And only found in men in particular age group. His glasses were specifically designed for his unique condition. Mm. These particular glasses were found at the site of the mass grave. What does he have? Like a lazy? A I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought you were gonna say like he had like heterochromia or something. Like, no, no, they have special glasses. He just got a weird. He had a, got. a weird eye condition. And he needed eye. some. He needed some special glasses Corrective for glasses. that weird eye. Yeah. So and got, they found those at a scene. They found they found them at the the grave the grave site on the hill. Yeah. Okay. So Garavito also left behind empty liquor bottles, his underwear, and occasionally his shoes. Mm. So he just left DNA all over yeah. the place. So DNA was found inside the victim's anal cavity, mm. along with the other items left behind. Mm. That police scheduled the entire jail where Garavito was being detained to get an eye exam. So everybody in this prison, he was at, got an eye exam. That's how they found out that it was him. That it was him. Because he was the only one that came up with this weird eye condition. Right, right. Um, Yeah, so the outcome of his eye exam would help police pair the glass to Garavito. By making it mandatory for all prisoners, it reduced Garavito's sus- suspicions. It kept Garavito from lying about his eyesight. 
While Garavito was out of his cell, detectives took DNA samples from his pillow and living area. The DNA found at the crime scene was the match of the DNA found in Garavito's cell. Garavito confessed to, confessed to murdering 140 children oh. and was charged with killing 172 altogether throughout Colombia. Jesus Christ. He was found guilty on 138 of the 172 counts. The others are ongoing. So Gar- they found 130. They, they found, found a, more than they that, found but a they mass, convicted. a mass grave. So it was just bodies. 170. 100, they got caught for 100. He got... He was guilty for 130, but it's 170 total. Wow. Um, Garavito was sentenced to uh, 1,853 years and nine days in prison. I mean, just but shoot him. Yeah, I'm but, sorry. Yeah, like, but listen, know. listen, 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 listen. Um, nine days in prison, the lengthiest sentence of in Colombian history. However, Colombian law limits prison imprisonments to 40 years, and what? because Garavito helped police find the victims' bodies. He was his sentence was further reduced to twenty two years. Wait, what do you wait? So you're saying he got he got sentenced to whatever years? He got sentenced and, to but a, that's eighteen hundred years. A law can you can the, only give somebody forty years? The law limits imprisonment to forty years. So why did the judge say that? Then he helped police find the bodies. So then the, he dropped it down to twenty two years. In nineteen ninety nine. This is the ninety nine. Yes. So he's out of jail. He was he's supposed to get out in twenty twenty one. Wow. Um, but wait, but why would a judge, is that just, is that he said, well, based on all this shit you did, this is what your shit tallies up to, right. but I can only give you 40 years. That's just the law here. Right. That's crazy. That's insane. That's, uh, that's, I mean, that's, that's, why would you even put a law like that on the, you could, there are some you crimes that <laughs> they, they warrant life in jail. Right. So they're like, nah, no matter what, we only give you 40 here. Yep, so Luis Garavito is serving his his sentence in Columbia prison. The exact loca- the exact location which is un- excuse me, which is unavailable to the public. Worried about his safety and well being. Oh yeah, I'm surprised yeah, I'm surprised. Garav- yeah, Garavito has made an arrangement with police. Police corporation and his continued good behavior good behavior had ensured Garavito's safety within the prison walls. He has he is held separately from all other prisoners. Of course he is, because wow. they would have murdered yeah. him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it is feared that he will be killed immediately. He is paranoid of being poisoned. Therefore, he only accepts drinks given directly to him by individuals whom he trusts. His guards are on very good terms with Garavito because he is relaxed, positive, and respectful, respectful towards them. He is considered to be a well-behaved inmate with a positive attitude. He is scheduled to be released in the year of 2021. Colombian law, however... Says says that those who have committed crimes against children do not receive any benefit with the justice, and are and are required to spend at least sixty years of their prison, of their sentence in prison. The number of years Garavito will spend in jail could be as high as, as eighty. So what? Like once he's done this forty, they're gonna give him something else? Maybe I don't know. They just... I mean, I'm okay with if they're gonna like circumvent this mm-hmm. law and just keep being like, well, now this. I'm cool with that. Mm-hmm. I was shocked when you said it because I was like, for 20 years, he's going to get out of jail. Right. But if they're just like, we haven't been able to change this 40-year law, so after you serve this 20, we're going to give you 40 on top of that, and then after you serve the 40, if you're still alive, we're, we'll come up with something else to keep you behind bars. But that's just, I feel like that's just a waste of time. Like, yeah. Just, just give them one right. thing and don't, you know, I think that's crazy that's, that there's a law in Colombia, that says you can only give the max you can give somebody in jail is 40 years. That, right, so they're just going to do give them 40 years and then give them another 40. 20. They just only can give them the max is 40. So, yeah. like, 
for one, you change the law. So. Yeah, just change the law. <laughs> that's more work for like the that costs money. That's, that's what I'm saying. You that's come a waste in of time. And, and do a whole new thing. Like, all right, his forties up. We gotta give him another forty. Bam, take him away. Right. And you gotta keep doing that. That that's that's crazy. I mean, this guy, that's a sea of bodies. That right. is insane. And then he, and then just because he has good behavior, he's scared. I don't. He's still I don't a hear that mass shit. murder. Right. I don't hear that. He should be. He's printing. on good terms. He the, should. The the security should kill him. He should be put in the same area as all the other inmates. So what? He has good behavior. He's scared. So what? He yeah. did what he did. Period. My, and he's kids. Yeah. My uh, my opposition to the death penalty ha- has its limits for sure. Mm-hmm. And a person like this, there's no um, there's nothing you can learn from this person. There's nothing. He's an anomaly. You know, it's one mm-hmm. thing to be a person who uh is killing people in a, in a specific kind of way that you can study and figure out why. But when you're just slaughtering children and it gets to these kind of numbers, that's you're an animal. Yeah, like you're, like, a, you're like a rat. You're like a, a wolf or something. Like You're like a rabid animal. Right. And it's, you need to just be taken out back and, 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 and done. You don't need to exist anymore. These are kids, young kids, teenagers, and, they're, and they're, they're boys. They're being mutilated. Brutally raped. Like, mutilated. That's insane. Cutting off genitals and stabbing them in their anus and all those horrible things that you said. This man is doesn't he doesn't deserve to be alive. Right. Even if his life is being put in a cage and he doesn't see anybody and all of that stuff is all good and everything, but he doesn't need to even be alive. And I I'm saying that as a person who is anti-death penalty, mm-hmm. this person his actions warrant for him to be removed from earth it is it is gross i agree that is crazy man that is disgusting yeah so um the public response was many colombians criticized the possibility of garavito's early release in recent years colombians have increasingly felt that garavito's sentence was not was not sufficient punishment for his crimes no some who argue he deserved either life in prison or the death penalty yeah neither of which exist in colombia in Colombia, they yeah. don't have the death penalty. No, um, Colombian law. Escobar's from <laughs> Colombian law had no provision or method to impose a sentence longer than what Garavito received. So they just so they never had it. They have they never had to do anything this at this magnitude, basically. I don't think any country has. Right. I mean, that's crazy. I, um, I I've heard some insane stories. I'm sure there's people that have crazy body count numbers as serial killers, mm-hmm. but 170 boys ages 6 to 16, and the manner of which he's doing mm-hmm. that and the fact that they found a mass grave. Like, a lot of the people that we have heard crazy numbers about, such as the Grim Sleeper mm-hmm. and, and others that have numbers where it's crazy, a lot of those are suspected. Like, mm-hmm. they put suspected. He was he was, he was was convicted of 12, but he's suspected of 50. Right. This man was convicted of 138. Murders. Suspected for 170. That's ridiculous. That's that's insane. That's crazy. So, of course, they've never... They were... I'm sure the judge... Everybody was like, I don't even know... I want to shoot him right, right. now. I, but we have to be the system that we are, and we don't have anything in place to... We've never seen evil like this. To come across a mass grave. Of, of, bo- of, of boys. little boys, man. That's crazy. Naked, naked, naked bait. Naked boys is like... How do you... How do you even take all that in? You being a, a, a somebody that worked for the law, that like job. that's that's crazy. 
that would be my last day on the job. I, seeing that level of evil would make me go, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. I don't want to work this job anymore. That's crazy. I, don't, I don't No, I'm good. And he <laughs> was just taking them and just maybe just like, yeah, onto it, the next. I'm sure it was like it became just throwing uh, them, just onto the next. It became habit or or just like a routine for him, where it's like bring them out here, kill them. It's quiet out here. No, I know nobody's coming here, and he probably didn't even notice how insane it was getting. When you get to like 20 bodies, it's like 50 bodies, right. 75 bodies, and you're still throwing the bodies are on top of each other. Right, that's insane for you to be desensitized to that. That is insane. That's crazy, man. I, Shout out to you as well, man. That this was one of the toughest stories I've ever heard you do. Probably, yes. I mean, that, that, yeah. That, kudos to you. You got through it like a champ. You did a very good job. I mean, that, wow. That is um, what is his name again? Luis Garavito. La Bista, yeah. La Biesta, or whatever. Yep. That is. I don't. I don't. I don't have any. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, me either. It's just um. Wow. Uh. So it says, details, it says, 138 confirmed. Now, what I read was, it said, 138 confirmed, possibly accounted for 170. But this says, 138 confirmed, maybe claimed for 400. Come on, man. That is absurd. I don't, and, and that is where, when you get to that suspected, and then it jumps to a number like that. That's where I go. I mean, that's There's no possible way. Yeah, that's 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 ridiculous. That's no possible way. Especially when you get out of his routine. So now you're saying, what are we just any kid that was died or whatever scattered around? Like mm-hmm. unless they say, well, we found another mass grave over here with 200 kids in it. But we well, at some point, that. at some point, they just had they had bones. At some point, it was just like. Some oh, yeah, some of decomposed just, so much. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah was oh, both. yeah, for sure. And then they piled on top of each other. Yep. Yeah, the decomposition was probably but, insane. Um, wow. Yeah, that's 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 a rough one, man. I Jeez. read this. I was like, these are young these are young kids. These are boys. And he just took advantage of them. And then they, they already didn't have nothing going for them already. But the, the worst part about it to me, besides the awful way that he killed these kids, mm-hmm. is that most of his victims, if not all of his victims, being homeless children, for a moment when this guy's walking with them and talking with them, they finally think that they found an adult. A sense of hope. That uh, they found an adult that, like, right. this person cares. Because right. every day, you know, we're all guilty of it. You you know, we don't really look at homeless people. Mm-hmm. You see them on the side of the road. They got their hand out. You just kind of, let me go. Let this light turn green so I can, I don't have to stop in front of this person. So, these kids were living that life, and then all of a sudden a man came along and offered them money or a place to stay or right. candy, and they felt seen and loved for, you know, however long he did that for, and then he betrayed that. And that's mm-hmm. the last thing that these kids experienced right. was betrayal. Right. And like I said from the beginning, I mean, this does justify what he did. It's just it started from his from where he was born. I mean, not where he was born, where he lived. Yeah. From his family Traumatic. and being, yeah. right, physically Traumatic, abused yeah. and his alcoholic father is just... You could even tie it in, again, this is a fact-free zone, but you could even tie in that maybe he is like, this happened to me as a kid, so now I'm going to get my revenge on other kids. Since right. this happened to me, I'm going to do it to them to make myself feel better. 
you know. That's crazy. But again, I'm not a psychologist, and I don't I don't care to be, and I also am not a person who focuses solely on facts. I'm a gut guy, and that is my gut mm-hmm. that that might have played a part in him wanting to humiliate these kids the way his father humiliated him. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't really care. Either way, he's a piece of shit. So that's all that really matters. Yep. Um. Wow. Well, that was uh. What was it? What his name? Louis. Louis got a veto. That was Louis got a veto. Um. Let's take a break and um compose ourselves. And um when I when we come back, I'm I'm gonna tell you some fucked up shit. I <laughs> I don't. I'm. It's not gonna top that. That was about as fucked up as it gets. But um. When we come back, it is my turn to tell you some fucked up shit, so stay tuned. All right, folks, and we are back. Really quickly, I just want to say thank you for those of you who listened to us and went and left us a review on iTunes. iTunes. We we got some new ones. They've been very nice. Some of them have been, you know, leaning, you know, more towards that of the Fran uh, ilk and (laughs) and focus. Somebody said, the first time I ever heard this was somebody said that they love our Baltimore accents. I don't think I have one <laughs> Me of those, either. <laughs> but you can't tell somebody that you're wrong. Right. When you, when somebody says, if somebody ever was to say that to me, I'd be horribly offended because <laughs> but we might not, we might um, say words wrong or say them kind of don't enunciate certain vowels uh, in it. But even more so is the Baltimore accent where it is like, yeah, you know, it's very <laughs> mumbly. So I... Uh, don't know what a Baltimore accent is, and if we have that, I think we must have like a better one of those. So. Um, but thank you, I guess. <laughs> uh, that's cool. Right. Um, so thank you very much. And um, again, like I said, thank you for leaving reviews on iTunes. Again, it is not from a place of vanity or or, or we you know we need our our egos stroked or anything like that. It's just a part of this weird system that iTunes had and I think it gives us a better shot at being noticed and, and and moving up the ranks of the iTunes hierarchy. So if you don't mind taking a minute when you get a chance and leaving us a nice nice review, we would love to hit 100 sometime in the near future. We are at like 70 or something like that. Um so that'd be really cool. And moving on, I don't want to harp too much on it because Fran starts to get irritable and he throws things at me. <laughs> um, so, Fran, are you ready for my affirmative murder this week? Yes, sir. Okay. My affirmative murder this week is the story of Ace Key, also known as the East Harlem Rapist. Okay. Uh, I got my story off of Murder- Murderpedia. There was a specific art- article by a man named David Krajicek. Shout out. Yeah, shout out to David Krajicek. Um, David Kraj. Yeah, David Kraj. DJ, uh, DK, you know. Or a D-check. D- um, oh, but, uh, D. What's his last name? Krajicek. I think that's like oh, Polish. I said D-Kraj. Sorry. Yeah, I thought you were shortening it for cool. I thought we were doing a thing. Like a yeah, nickname. Yeah, I did. Yeah, D-Kraj. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So shout out to D-Kraj. And, um, and shout out to Murderpedia <laughs> as well. Yep. All right. <clears throat> Let me get focused. <clears throat> Paula Ilera, a bright-eyed 13-year-old girl, stood in the lobby of her East Harlem housing project on a chilly January afternoon in 1991, and she pushed her family's apartment number on the intercom box. The girl, arriving home from school, leaned in close to the speaker and said, So yo, or it's me. Upstairs, her mother Olga buzzed her in by pushing the button to unlock the lobby door. She glanced at the clock, which read 4.45 p.m. Paola had stayed late at school, and it was very dark outside. The routine interaction was the last that Olga Iera, a Colombian who with her family had immigrated to New York just seven months earlier, 
would have with her precious daughter. Wow. So this is the last time she heard so from this her daughter. Is in New was York in January in wintertime. At a housing project. Okay, so I, I want to get, I want to yeah, feel like so I'm, it's chilly. Okay. It's chilly January day. Mm-hmm. Bing! Up in the apartment, mom, uh, como te llamas? Mm-hmm. Or whatever, you know. And then the, mom, <laughs> and then the daughter like, it's me, buzz me up. Uh-huh. And she never made it up to the apartment. Wow. So, um, and they're Colombian, so, you know, it ties in to yep. yours. Um, and this is dark too at four forty five around it winter time. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Point. You know, yeah. daylight saving time. Yeah. Our clocks pushed back, or however yeah. that works, where it gets dark early. Um, the girl passed through the lobby door and got into an elevator, but she didn't make it up to the thirtieth floor apartment. Those housing projects are insane, man. That they're, I bet the thirtieth floor isn't the last floor. Like those housing projects, how they stuff people of color. Or and poor people mm-hmm. of whatever into a little small area by building these high rise apartments, mm-hmm. which is like if a fire broke out on the first floor or whatever. I mean that whole building can go up and there's people trapped on the thirtieth floor. That How can't do you get move? Out. How do you move your shit all the way up there? Do you have a freight elevator? That's or? insane. I would I would I would wager that most of these these people once you move in you aren't coming out. Like That's housing crazy. projects were meant to be a temporary situation until you get on your feet and then you go, but it ends up being you. The mom or whoever the dad grandfather dies and then the person just stays in the apartment unit and just keeps living there and it just you just stay there forever that's crazy so it's not a system that um rehabilitates people or or encourages them to um get off of the system and move out and get their own it it would cause too much drama probably if i wanted like just just leave them yeah i mean they're there you know, we can keep an eye on them. They're right. in this one area here, and mm-hmm. bam, and build this building to the sky, and we can cram more in there. Thirtieth floor that in in a housing project is insane. Um, it's probably a whole bunch of shit they going on there. Oh yeah, people. Oh yeah, people. I, I'm gonna <laughs> housing projects are especially in New York are people don't respect. It's not their house; it's the government's house. Right. So they piss in the elevators oh, and yeah. don't. Yeah, they don't Trash care. Yeah, they don't care. You know, Get they don't shit. have any sense of property. Right. You know. Um. Yeah, so her mother quickly sensed trouble, and she frantically searched the neighborhood for Paola, a slightly built, fair-skinned child with a mop of curly black hair. Three hours later, a man walking his dog noticed a prone figure on a pedestrian walkway a few steps away from the East River. It was Paola's lanky body. She had been raped, strangled, and stabbed three times near the heart. Uh, her li- her lifeless body had been redressed and then dumped more than ten blocks what? from her building along her along the busy FD- FDR Drive beneath the world elite uh, beneath the Ward's Island Bridge. So this person apparently kidnapped her, raped her, murdered her, and then put her clothes oh back on her. Now I wonder how long it took. That'll that'll freak me out as a as a parent to your child be like, buzz me up and then like five minutes later you're like. It was more than five minutes. It but was, that's what I'm. Yeah, I figured it would be quicker than that. You're like, yeah. what the hell? Even 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 five minutes is like, it doesn't take five minutes. Right, that's elevator. what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. So, but it was it was like I believe she it was like forty five minutes where she was like, wait, what? Or maybe <laughs> even she buzzed her up and went and did some stuff and was like, well, she comes upstairs and then she'll be up here. And then like an hour later, you're like, wait, she's like, she's not in her room. I thought she would be in the house by now. Right. And then you're like. Why isn't she that in the would, house? That would freak me the hell Cause out. Because it's it's so routine. You're just like, let me up. Okay, bah. you come up, and then you go back to cooking, or maybe mm-hmm. you go lay down. You're like, yeah, they're in the house now. Right. Even though you're on the 30th floor, you're like, you're in the building now. I'm going to go lay back down. You get back up That's crazy. to be like, hey, what do you want for dinner? And your kid's not in the house. You're like, I just, 
I just buzzed them up an hour ago. So, yeah, so she panicked, and mm. tragically, Paola was found on a walkway near the East River, uh, murdered and raped. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when she was killed, the child was bearing the totems of her adolescence. A new kids on the block watch on her wrist, and in her pocket, a piece of chalk that she used to draw hopscotch grids. So this was a kid. Yeah. yeah this was a little kid, man. Um, during the autopsy, the medical examiner noticed noted curious uh, elongated marks on her thighs. Oh, I'm sorry. When you said that, she had a piece of chalk. Yeah. Like, if you would tell a kid that now, like, I used to have a piece of, a piece of chalk in my pocket. You know, we used to do hopscotch. They'd be like, what? what? I play hopscotch on my iPad. Right. Like, these, we have, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Yo, I'm that's, telling you, people, people, people underestimate the technology jump that went, happened from 99 to now. Because some of the stuff that we did when kids, when I was a kid, you tell a kid, it's like you're telling them you used to push a wheel around with a stick. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I used to have to go to a store to buy a movie right. to watch at home, they're and like, then we had what? to bring the movie back after two days. They'd be like, why come you just couldn't rent it off the TV? You didn't have Netflix? Yeah. Like, like, no, we didn't. You know? Or like, yeah, man, we used to all ride bikes and, you know, we training wheels and so much stuff. Jacks. I seen kids. Pods. Oh, stick pods. There's kids outside my house, and they're just... They they're they're like doing selfies. I'm like, we used to play football. We used to play football in the street. We used to play football all day. Yeah. These they take selfies and all these kids want to be YouTube like, famous and Instagram it's, famous it's, at like eleven. It's amazing. It's crazy. <laughs> um, yeah. During the op- during the autopsy, the medical examiner noted curious elongated marks on her thighs. Uh, it seemed the girl had resisted the rape. And her attacker had pried her legs apart with such force that he left bruises on her thighs that mirrored the shape of his fingers mm. on her thighs. Um, she was she was beautiful and very delicate, her mother said later on in an interview. She wanted to be a lawyer. She was painting dreams. I guess that was a comment about her art or mm-hmm. something. Um she was a young girl with many plans for the future, her uncle Guillermo uh, Ospina told reporters. She was very intelligent, very advanced for her age. She thought like an older person. She was very happy here because she loved English, um, her mother said. And uh, her uncle said every day, or wait. Oh, she said she would tell her uncle that she would tell her uncle every day, I love it here more and more. Cause they'd only been in the country for seven months. Okay. They immigrated here from Columbia, like I said. So, but she loved it in America. Mm-hmm. And, and after seven months for you to be having a new kids on the block t-shirt and all that, she fully assimilated to the culture of the time. Right. And well, people like that appreciate shit more when they, yeah, it's like, man, it's so much, look, how, it's so great here, right. you know? Right. So that's tragic in, in itself mm-hmm. that, you know, this girl thought, you know, she got to America and everything's great. And you're in New York, the best city in the world, right. the Big Apple. And she got murdered. So um, that's pretty sad. Uh, the rape and murder of a 13-year-old girl should be big news in just about any city at most any time. But New York of 1991 barely noticed the horrendous East Harlem crime because the city was awash with violence then. It was collateral damage of the crack cocaine epidemic that had begun in 1984. From 1990 until 1992, more than 2,000 murders were reported in the city each year. Wow. 
every day an average of six bodies turned up in the five boroughs of New York City, most of them poor minority neighbors, neighborhoods like East Harlem, the South Bronx, and East New York, Brooklyn. So um, another reason I picked this story is that it ties so well into so so the joke thing that we say here is that we're here to uh, help white guys out and 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 try to you know alleviate some of the pressure of them from you know being called serial killers and everything. But but the real reason that we started this podcast is because these minority killings and killers aren't represented in media at all compared to their counterparts. So uh, you know of of white race and that's sad. Not from the serial killers aspect, but from the fact that, you know, we can do a story about a serial killer in Chicago that killed 15 women. And he wasn't doing wearing disguises mm -hmm. or anything. He just was in a neighborhood full of people that nobody gave a shit about. Right. Because they were poor and disenfranchised and minority. So he was able to have his pick of the litter. Whereas when we talk about Ted Bundy, we're talking about a guy who rented vans and, and he had to do all these all this trickery mm -hmm. to get his, these victims where we're talking about dudes. How many serial killers have we done in this show where we're like, well, he couldn't read. He dropped out of school in sixth grade. He he uh, he he lived at home with his parents. And Most this guy, we do, does, yeah. Like that. And this person was able to kill twenty five people or something ridiculous, right? Because they're just like, well, there's a crackhead there or whatever, and nobody mm -hmm. cares. I'll just take her and bring her here, and it, that's crazy. So the real reason we started this podcast was to shed a light on the darker side of true crime, which is you know our description of our podcast. But we do joke around and say, like, oh, we're here to help out white guys because mm -hmm. you guys get called serial killers all the time and make lampshades out of people. But really, these victims and these killers are not given the notoriety that they deserve because, really, you could create a profile based on a lot of the killers that we do. You can create a profile based on the Grim Sleeper and say, okay, if you take a neighborhood that's disenfranchised and a lot of poor people live there and you introduce uh, any kind of crime that stands out from the typical thing of like a, a, a shooting or anything like you talk about a person being raped and stabbed in that neighborhood you can go okay we should keep an eye on this because if it adds up to three or five there's a good chance it might be the same person just kind of taking his pick of the litter because mm. we've seen it so many times but yet again yet it happens all the time you know people are able to kidnap kids in these neighborhoods that don't make you know how does a 13 year old girl not get national news after being raped and murdered, how's that not a national headline? Right. How's that just a little blip in the newspaper? That's crazy. And and I hate to bring it to this, but like if that was a girl in Beverly Hills or a girl in the suburbs, if that was a girl from the Hamptons in New York that was 13 and somebody killed her, and it would be na a national news story. Right. East Coast, West Coast, everywhere. It'd be everywhere. It'd be it's everywhere. just like for that little girl, it's like if somebody was to read the newspaper and then be like, oh, another girl was murdered in, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Yeah. It's like, you uh, flip the page and then your, your life goes on. Yeah. But that's it's just, like it's... John Bonet Ramsey was my oh, oh my God she's so cute she did pageants you know I mean that right. that story tore the nation apart. But how does that? But, but why are they being separated into di two different type of categories? Why? Because she's white. I it, I think it's less that she's white and more that this girl is brown and from a neighborhood that people get shot over drugs all the time. So it's like, well, of course, if somebody died in that neighborhood, it's bad. It's a bad neighborhood. But this being like. Oh, this lily white child from the suburbs was killed. Nothing bad ever happens in Pleasantville, but over here in the Bronx, you know, grown people die all the time. So That's it's crazy. like it's just it's a war zone. So of course bad stuff happens. So five people got killed yesterday in the Bronx. A girl got killed today. People die every day. B is basically the feeling. That's so um yeah. Anyway, didn't mean to go on a rant, but uh, 
Yeah, so yeah, more than two thousand you know, people in, in, in all these Bronx in Brooklyn and uh and uh East Harlem. These were the big neighborhoods that were hit hard by the crap the crack epidemic. And during this time of this girl's murder, people were like, Well, you know, two thousand murders a year. What the hell? That was, was terrifying, that? right? I think that was my neighbor outside. Oh. Whoa. Yeah. Sorry guys, there's not a ghost child in my house. We heard it too. I think it's coming from outside. The windows are open because it's, it's hot outside. That was, was <laughs> my heart. My heart skipped a beat, but I was like, "Let me stay composed." Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. That gave me shit. Because only, only because we talk about already yeah, talking about a missing kids. girl, and it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. That was. Well, I'm gonna leave that in. Jesus. I was gonna say I was gonna cut it out, but you guys need to hear that. Uh, um, wow. <laughs> I'm gonna get back to the story. Um, you can't make that one up. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> A uh, uh, few of these cases garnered much attention. Instead, the media um, stampeded to the more upmarket crimes of white affluent victims in more photogenic locations, such as a stockbroker attacked while jogging in Central Park or a tourist slain during a subway robbery. Uh, police investigated the murder of Paola Iera, of course, but it was not a marquee case. High-profile crimes often are assigned scores of detectives who are allowed to spend countless hours on the investigation. For example, when the son of a media mogul was killed in New York a few years after Paola was murdered, the New York mayor, or the new New York mayor, Rudy Giuliani, that fucking big-tooth fuck, uh, (laughs) solemnly vowed that hundreds and hundreds of cops would be assigned to the case. But the young Colombian immigrant was not afforded such star treatment. A man's pubic hair was collected from the child's body and stored as evidence. Mm. But without pressure from the media or politicians, Paola Iera's be- Paola Iera became a law became a law priority victim. Her case was destined to languish in limbo, unsolved for the mo- for most of the 1990s. Wow! So basically, they put her case in the pile. Well, because nobody was pushing. Nobody's nobody. Nobody was like. That's do this really. there was no motivation or pressure from the community so they threw it with the pile with the rest of the murders and eight more cases got piled on that and it got lost in the system mm-hmm. um that's sad yeah man the criminal justice system definitely has its flaws because the fact that you can put pressure on somebody to focus on a terrible case and then it'll get the focus that it deserves is why why you know if the if the if the department's understaffed get more staffed if the it's all about the money you it's know, all about the dollar yeah 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 that's the way the world goes man capital capitalist society uh by the mid 1990s the tide had turned on crime in new york overall but the housing projects of east harlem but in the housing po- projects of east harlem the carnage continued with a series of seemingly unrelated rapes and murders against petite light-skinned black or hispanic teenagers in 1994, a 15-year-old girl was accosted at knife point. The case established an M.O. for the attacker, who would repeat it many times over the next four years. He approached the teenager from behind and directed her to a remote spot, where she was blindfolded with a piece of her own clothing, forced to strip, then raped and sodomized. The 15-year-old victim survived to, uh, to describe her attacker, a clean-cut young man with a muscular build who had a grand opinion of himself. Uh, he told the victim she should be grateful to be raped by such a handsome fellow. Wow. He told, he told me I was lucky. She, the victim said a few years later on September 10th, 1997, 
firefighters were called to a rooftop at the George Washington houses on East 104th Street. Veteran firefighter Fred Zavinis later described what he found there as uh, a quote from him is, I came upon what I thought at the time was a piece of rubbish or furniture burning. Uh, then he noticed a bare breast and realized it was a person or what was left of her. It quote. was a person burning? Yeah, on a rooftop in a, a, a top building of a housing project. So he lit. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, after calling a supervisor, Zvenis said, I stepped back and looked at her. I was amazed that somebody could do something like this. Mm. Uh, the victim who had been raped, clubbed, choked, was identified by an ankle bracelet, a gift from her mother, as Johales Castro, age 19, whose family had immigrated to New York from the Dominican Republic. Castro, who had a young daughter, had been studying computer science at a community college in the Bronx. Uh, We came here looking for a better life for our four children, her mother, Paola, Paula, I'm sorry, the, the first victim that was in the story whose name was Paola Iera. Mm-hmm. This girl uh Johalis her mother's name is Paula. Okay. So I I put too much emphasis on it. Her mm-hmm. name's Paula, not Paola. Uh Paula Castro, her mother, would later say what I just was quoted in saying. Uh like Paola Iera, the murder of Castro inspired Little Inc, just another teen from East Harlem from an East Harlem immigrant family. Seven months later, in April 1998, a 13-year-old girl was raped and sodomized in the same neighborhood. The young and again, this is what I mean. Where there's no cop that is um, trying to t- connect the dots. It's just like, yeah, people get ra- people get murdered and raped in this neighborhood, man. And all of them just happen to be Hispanic little girls. Sometimes that's just the way it goes here. Nobody's trying to pinpoint the connect the dots. Right. They just throw it on the pile. And we'll get to it later, you know, which is crazy to me when you're talking about three girls around the same age or look kind of the same in the same neighborhood. How does that not go like we got some? Yeah. Let's, you know, uh, let's look into on. this. Right. Um. Uh. Yeah. So another girl who was age 13 was raped and sodomized in the same neighborhood. The young victim, just four foot nine, escaped the fate of Iera and Castro. She told police she screamed in pain while being sodomized. He told me to be quiet and take it like a woman, the child told the child told the police. Two months later, on June 2nd, Rashida Washington was found robbed, raped, and so- robbed, raped, raped, sodomized, and strangled in a 15th floor stairwell of East 112th Street housing project. And this is a young girl. Yes. Inside of a, a, a inside of a building. a building. Yes, in a staircase. And nobody heard anything. People mind their business, I guess, man. That's it's, it's, That's yeah, unbelievable, man. Um Sometimes when you do these stories, you really see like the worst in people. I hit a floor crack in my house and I'm like I yeah. look, I open the door like, "What the fuck was that?" Yeah, it yeah. <laughs> it's like you but, hear screaming, you just like turn the volume up on your TV and yeah. just ignore it. Roll your eyes like, "God, be quiet." You gotta um, be kidding me. Yeah, I mean, look, it's good and bad in the world, and and, and sometimes a person, everybody's kind of concerned about self. I'm watching Judge Judy right now, so you're interrupting my experience. I'm gonna turn the TV up on you, or somebody's screaming. Probably boyfriend or girlfriend are fighting. That's none of my business, you know. Um, but as a result of that, 
But look, year. I mean, at, at the least, hundred percent, I'm with you. Uh, but as a result of this um, mentality, Rashida Washington was killed in what I assume was her building where she lived. Um, the body, it's the body, its naked torso covered by a shirt, had been propped up against the wall in a seated position, like the earlier victims. Washington, a fashion student who worked at a clothing boutique, was petite, weighing just just 100 pounds. She had lived with her father, Gregory, in the same housing project as the first victim, Paola Iera. So, I mean, how does that... Is there nobody... I feel like when you... when they once, not the, the, the metaphorical they, mm-hmm. as in the police department or whatever, even though this case is now... We're now in 1998. This case is now seven years old. How is there nobody saying another girl? There was a girl raped in that built in that same building, or taken from that same building seven years ago. These are where the dots should start to connect, you mm-hmm. know. Um, yeah, Washington was murdered three days after her 18th birthday. Mm. That fall, two more adolescents were raped and sodomized in the vicinity, or in the vicinity of where Rashida Washington and Paola Iera were raped. So it's all in the same area. Yeah, in East Harlem. But how do they figure, like, we could have the same guy here? Because I think it's that same mentality of all these cops being like, God, man, East Harlem but, is a shithole. But you don't have to be a People genius raped to, and murdered. to figure that out. I don't I don't understand. I think that me, I give a lot of grief to, like, law enforcement and lawyers and and. Hindsight is 2020, you know what I mean? Like, us being two people who are talking about something that happened in 1998 Mm -hmm. can go, that was dumb. How do you not see that? I wasn't working there. So I'm not going to say who was dumb. I think it's less of a dumb thing and more of a, they weren't even looking. I'm sure every cop there was was, smart. I'm not saying it was dumb, but I'm saying that why is it, why is it, why is it, why is that not an idea that was thrown on the table? Because, but my point is like, there's no table to throw it on, I don't think, because nobody's paying attention. It was like, Man, we're backed up. There's a bunch of crack murders going on. Just throw it. We'll get to it eventually. Nobody was looking to connect the dots is what the real problem was. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah. So now we're t- after um, Rashida was killed, we're at two more uh, victims who were raped and sodomized in the same area. A 15-year-old on September 25th and a 14-year-old on November 16th. The second victim said her attacker had an odd demand. He told me to act like I loved him. She told the police. Those two teens escaped alive, probably because they did not get a good look at the attacker before they were uh, blindfolded. Uh, Even as these parallel cases piled up, police made no public announcement that a serial rapist and murderer might be preying on teenage girls in East Harlem. And that's what I have a problem with, because this is the same thing that happened with the Grim Sleeper, where... There's nobody paying attention to at least give a warrant, let people know, like, hey, guys, go pick your kids up from school and walk them home. Mm-hmm. To let, give people a chance to protect their kids. Because if you just got people out here thinking everything's sweet and nobody's having discussions about all these girls being raped and murdered in a seven-year period and some of them being really close to each other within weeks of each other in the same building, not letting the public know that this is going on, allows this man to continue to like live in uh being anonymous you know well i want to know what happened to 
who did the who did the young girls that survived? Who did they go to? Like they what went happened? to the police, and they just, but they didn't have a description, or they didn't have oh, a good enough description. One of the girls go. said that he was young and clean shaven and was had a bulky build, but that's every uh, black dude in the nineties. Everybody wanted to look like Joe, <laughs> so he was just uh, he was coming from behind him. Okay. Yeah, and he would blindfold right, him as okay. well. So anybody, the the ones that who could identify him was he very few. Him. Yeah, he would kill him, and the right. ones that were able to, the one that was able to escape, her t- her description didn't help, and the other two didn't see him. So, but they had DNA evidence though. But he just couldn't match it to anybody. Let me get to that. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, let's see. Where was I? Knowing the public rapist and murderer might be Brian on the team's business. The parents of the victims would later accuse both the police and the media of giving sig- significantly less attention to the cases. They said uh, this was based upon the victim's lack of status, um, by which they were referring to uh, them being ethnic minorities from a poor neighborhood. Um, it's because they're black and Hispanic, said Gregory Washington, the father of Rashida. Um, it's because it's all above 96th Street. Let there be a white girl. <clears throat> Let there be a white girl, and it's solved within days, which is a bit of an exaggeration. But this is a man coming from frustration, and I understand what he's saying. Right. Yes, uh, but he, it's a bit of an exaggeration. But I understand what he is saying. I'm not from New York, but I assume that uh, above 96th Street, it's like he means line. it gets worse. It right, gets worse, right. and 96th and lower is like Manhattan and all that kind of stuff. So anything above 96th Street is where it starts to get a little brown. That's just like here. Go to certain parts is like yeah exactly. If you go across that street, you yeah, see like you go down that road, you keep going and get a little uh, <laughs> chocolate. Um, uh, yeah. So he said, uh, "Let there be a white girl," and it's solved within days. <clears throat> His daughter's murder had garnered four paragraphs in the New York Post. The New York Times had ignored it altogether. It is a subject. Now I like this. I, did, I, I like this part right here. My man put his foot in this part of the story right here. Uh, it is a subjective exercise to try to compare media attention given to one case t- to that of another. But when Brian Watkins, a tourist from Utah, had been stabbed to death in a Manhattan subway on September 2nd, 1990, his murder had been covered with hundreds of stories in the New York newspapers. When Paola Iyera met a similar fate four months later, the Times published two stories. DNA testing was first used in a criminal investigation in in England in 1986, and it was in limited use in the United States by the following year. But it was still a forensic science in its infancy in 1991 when young Paola was murdered. Uh, That had changed in 1998. By then, DNA was widely regarded as the most important investigatory breakthrough since the fingerprint. And the East Harlem cases would bear that out. Tissue samples had been collected over the years from rape and murder suspects and prosecutors ordered DNA tests on at least five men suspected in the attacks, including two who had been picked out of a police lineup by rape victims. In the 1990s, there was a limited archive of DNA samples on file because routine testing of felons had not yet been on a large scale. So basically they weren't swabbing people when they, were going to prison in the 90s, so they didn't have a ton of DNA in the oh, banks because okay. there was no way to get it. Right. Uh, 
But a key development in the East Harlem cases came in the fall of 1998 when New York police criminal criminalists compared semen evidence from the Rashida Washington murder and two other rapes in that neighborhood. The test determined that the same per- the same perpetrator was responsible for the three crimes. Uh, detectives were finally certain that a serial criminal was preying upon Harlem teenagers and the police formed a small task force of detectives to find the man. Police distributed a wanted poster that included a sketch of the serial killer based upon descriptions from the rape victims. A few days after the filer, a few days after the flyer went up in East Harlem, a telephone tipster suggested detectives should take a look at a young man known as Ace who lived on the 19th floor of Paola's of Paola Iera's building. Mm. Cops soon established Ace's real name as Aaron Key, and the name rang a bell. I didn't think about that, him actually living in the building. I didn't oh, yeah, so he's probably, him living in he the building, interests. and it being, not only him living in the building, but this all being such a small neighborhood, he probably was scoping out all the girls that he wanted that he thought was cute or well, whatever. I, I didn't think about that, the fact that you got to be buzzed in the damn building, and yeah. I was like, well, maybe he, I didn't think and about that. And she just unfortunately got all on right. the same elevator as this man, is, is what seemingly happened. Um... Yeah, so his name rang bells to police once they found out his real name was Aaron Key. Uh, Before she was killed in 1991, young Paola had been seen entering the elevator at the same time as a young man. Detectives had talked to the man back then, and he gave his name as Aaron Warford. He admitted that he had ridden up in the elevator with the girl on the afternoon she was murdered, but he said he had got off at the 19th floor, and Paola had continued up. That That was the last the police saw of Aaron Warford. But the unique first name, because it's spelled A-R-O-H-N, which I could be our own. Mm. But uh, but the unique first name surfaced again in the investigation of Johales Castro, of, jo- of Johales Castro's murder six years later. Telephone records revealed that in the days before she was killed, Johales had exchanged dozens of phone calls with a man named Aaron Key. I'm going to continue to call him Aaron because it, it feels weird putting all that <laughs> extra sauce on his name. Uh-huh. Um, police spoke with Key, who said Johales Castro had been a friend of his girlfriend, Jacqueline. He explained the fu- he explained the flurry of phone calls by saying the two women had been planning on a shopping a shopping trip on the day she was killed. Police interviewed the girlfriend who confirmed Key's account. Only later did police realize that Aaron Warford and Aaron Key were the same man. Hmm. Warford was his father's surname or last name, and Key is his his mother's. Aaron Key, which if you're gonna lie to the police, give him a fake first name too. Especially if your name <laughs> is just, spelled. He just mixed them and shit. Yeah, especially if your name is spelled in a fucking weird way. <laughs> like if my name was like Caliban, and my mother's last name is Daniels, and my father's last name is Johnson, I'm not gonna be like my name's Caliban Johnson, and then tell the police. My name is Caliban Daniels. Uh, Your still name is still Caliban. Right. Like the it, first name. It's still super stand out. And then you meet. You then you use two last names that got something to do with your parents. Yeah. Like. Dumb. <laughs> Again, but these are the kind of people who who are That's able crazy. to in these uh, situations in these housing projects and living in these bad neighborhoods. These are the kind of guys. Guys that give their real name to police officers yeah. are the kind of guys who can get away with murdering six people and taking people in broad daylight and you know not getting caught. Mm-hmm. People not opening doors because they don't want to be nosy or snitch or whatever, right. you know. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
So, yeah, so he said that uh, the reason he had so many phone calls to his house from uh, Joe Hollis was because she was planning on going on a trip with his girlfriend. And so now his name has come up twice in two murders, right. even though they, he used la- different last names. So they figure out that they're the one and the same. And uh, so um, this coincidence was extraordinary. But if Aaron Key was a serial rapist and murderer, he was one pressed from the um, Ted Bundy mold, which, of course, they have to, you know, tie it back in with the Mount Rushmore of serial mm-hmm. killers with, you know. Yeah, of course. So... The, this guy, they're saying his methodology is comparable to Ted Bundy's because of the fact that uh, the infamous American serial killer of the late 70s, uh, Key was born on September 18th, 1973. He spent most of his most of his childhood in East Harlem and was living with re- was living with relatives in the same building as Paola Iera in 1991. He was known as a big talk, big talking charmer, which you know, if this guy's telling girls to tell him that he loves them while he rapes them, and those kind of like this guy's not—it's all fake. Right. Like he needed to take from these women and also give them, give him fake validation, mm-hmm. which is the—that's the grossest thing to me. I—I I could never imagine what it would be like to be raped as a woman, but to have a man like tell you to tell, tell me you like it—that's mm-hmm. extra degrading. Like on top of a level of degradation that is unacceptable to take that from a woman but to also be like you like it right, right. that's sick yeah it's 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 gross man it, it, it really is sickening to me um uh key was adept at computers he claimed to be a rap producer although there's little evidence that he did any work in that field <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know so i made a couple beats for nas you know it was the 90s made a couple beats for nas you know jay-z's hard knock life volume two yeah, I did a couple cuts on that. You know, I made the Hard Knock Life beat actually. No proof. Right. Uh so yeah, there was no there was no proof of that. Uh he was not physically imposing at just five foot eight, which, you know, um is not short. It, you know, um that is a perfectly tall man. Yeah, it's like medium size. I mean, a medium to large. <laughs> That's a not a small guy. Right. You know, uh, I'm not 5'8", I'm 5'8", and some change. But that's not, I wouldn't say that's small. Let's focus on this guy's horrible behavior, not attack 5'8", guys. Right. You know, let's not focus on that. That's not what's, that's not what's on trial here. Um, But he had spent little or no time locked up, which is a big reason why they didn't have any DNA or have uh, his name in the system or have him as a suspect. Um, yet neighbors said he had a sick side. He habitually peered through the peepholes of women in his building, and he often traipsed around with a portable video camera, trying clumsily to get shots up skirts. So I don't That's know. That's like an old head thing to do. Well, he was young, but it, oh, it was also well, okay, it like was sick perverted. Yeah. It was a perverted thing to do. But also, I don't understand how... Somebody gets raped in the building, and that's not the guy. Somebody's like, yeah, there's a guy that walks around with a video camera, right. and you know, and he peeps through. We always catch him looking in girls' peepholes, which is so dumb. Like the purpose of a peep, you can't see much on the outside. Right. It's meant to zoom out and make it smaller when you look in from the other mm-hmm. side. So he's that desperate to see a girl like vacuuming in her house. So creepy too. Like the how was somebody he getting, watching? How was he like? Getting up pictures of upskirts, like I'm sure he like had like the camera on, like, oh shit, I fell. 
but he's got the camera on, so oh, I fell, and then fall on the ground, and it goes up her skirt. He put a, he put a mirror on his shoe. Yeah, so or, yeah, <laughs> something like that, you know, or like walking behind them up the steps is what I would oh, imagine. There's yeah. a lot of steps, sure. a tall building, so maybe he's like opens the door like after you, mm-hmm. and then he's walking behind them, and then just pu- push the camera out, extend his arm while the girl's walking up the steps, and you get a little peek. I was about to say maybe he had a big fan in his hallway because it was hot, but it's the winter time, so. Yeah, also, that's really dramatic. That's like Beyonce <laughs> shit, like, oh, man. Oh, man, sorry, I turned the fan on you. Blew your skirt up. Sorry. That's, <laughs> you know. If he if he goes to the, the point where he can look through the opposite side of a people. Yeah, I mean, this guy's in the subtle like- guy. <laughs> this guy's in the subtle guy. So, I mean, maybe he also had a fan. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, one of the little handheld fans in his hand. Yeah, like... <laughs> Oh, my bad. I blew your skirt up. Sorry. Stop pointing it at me then. Oh, damn. Sorry. My bad. Uh, the... Third degrees. Why do you have a fan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the assailant in the September 1998 rape left behind a black fubu cap and a gray sweatshirt. Oh, man. So it's, this is all 90s. <laughs> what do we got? We got uh, the new kids on the block. We got fubu caps. Uh, it is a very 90s-centric episode. We were talking about NSYNC mm. earlier. This is nostalgic in many ways. <laughs> FUBU. Wow. Uh, so you had a FUBU cap and a gray sweatshirt. Uh, a laundry tag in the garment led police to a dry cleaner near Key's building, whose client list included Aaron Key's mother, Cynthia. Detail after detail pointed to Aaron Key as a leading suspect. The authorities believed a test of his DNA would prove that he was the rapist and killer. But Key had no DNA on file. Since mandatory DNA testing of accused felons would not be would not begin in New York until 2000, and in the 90s required a sample was not as simple. Wait, and in the 90s acquiring a sample was not as simple as hauling a suspect in and running a swab across his inner cheek. DNA tests were still regarded as invasive, and a sample had had to be authorized by a judge based upon probable cause. Despite the circumstantial evidence, detectives knew the elevator ride, phone calls, and laundry tag would not convince a judge to compel Key to surrender a bit of his a bit of his spittle for a DNA sample. So police were forced to turn to Plan B. First, they tried tailing Key, awaiting for him to spit or discard <laughs> chewing gum, which is like still a plan that is implemented <laughs> right. implemented in society. Uh, <laughs> this quickly proved impractical. On February 8th, 1999, cops got a break when Key was arrested in connection with the theft of a computer hard drive. With no mandatory DNA tests of arrestees yet on the law books in New York, police resorted to trickery to try and get a a genetic sample. A female detective disguised as a doctor in a white hospital smock uh, asked Key to give a saliva sample for a routine tuberculosis test. The cops pushed paperwork in front of the prisoner, hoping he would sign a release form. So basically, they put the release form in a bunch of shit that was like, sign this saying that you agree to be here. And sign Uh this, just we got to put your name on this. And one of those paperworks was an agreement to let them take DNA tests, right? So they tried to be slick. Uh, But Key took the time to read the fine print (laughs) on the document, and he uh, he balked when he saw a line referring to DNA analysis. And I got to admit, this was kind of slick. Not slick, but, like, cunning Uh. and diabolical, really. Uh, (laughs) He said he was a practicing Jehovah's Witness and that it was against his faith to participate in any form of medical treatment. 
the detective, the cop uh, that was on this, uh, that was in the room at the time, said he suddenly got religious. Wow, uh, that's smart. Yeah. So <laughs> he, one, it was smart to read. You know, yeah. again, I, this guy's a piece of shit. But they get kids who are innocent this same way of mm-hmm. like, just sign this. Tell us what happened, even though your parents aren't here and you don't have a lawyer present. Just let us talk to us and then you say something incriminated and now you're in jail even though you're innocent but you just did the wrong thing Mm. so in this situation i commend him in a weird way for not letting the the police trick him right even though he's the bad guy Mm. but you know you should do stuff the right way don't try to get him to not unwittingly sign over his dna Mm. that's not cool even though this is the guy right but it could have not been the guy (laughs) are you is is, is siri yeah Oh, okay. I didn't oh, she's know. downstairs. I just smell some burn. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she burns uh, food a lot. Um, Let's see. Lost my place. I got so it. they didn't, they just let him go. They didn't. They no, no, didn't, no, no, could, no, 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 no. They just couldn't get the DNA evidence that way. He was still. But that one, that was, was tried. That was that was the, the doctor, the, the, the fake doctor. To try yeah, to get that to, was okay. her trick to okay. try to get him right. to, to sign off on the, um on the thing. Um, he now knew what police wanted from him and he tried to make sure they wouldn't get it. So basically they made such a big deal. Like, come on, man, this is tuberculosis doctor. Hey man, sign this. He's like, oh, they want my, they want my spit. So he, he is quick. Yeah. He's, he's going to come up with that, like that fast. For him to figure out that that's what it is, you know, it's like, oh, they want my spit. So no. (laughs) So check this out. So, uh, um, so yeah, he would try to make sure that they wouldn't get any DNA from him. After his meal that evening, he tore his paper cup into bits and flushed it down the toilet. Wow. He then placed his cellmate's cup on his metal tray, hoping to throw off investigators. But cops were uh, a step ahead. Shortly after Key was arrested, he had spent time in a group holding cell with several other men. Attendants had served them cups of water, and detectives tracked down the cups in a waste paper basket and delivered them for DNA testing. So they just tested the whole room of guys. And if one of them comes up, they're, this is they the guy him, they got yeah. all the evidence on. Right. So if it, the best case scenario is nobody has any evidence, but if it's just one, even though it's a bunch of cups, we got a guy here who we already have as a suspect. Mm-hmm. So it has to be him. Right. Which, which is a, is a, is a solid argument from his defense in court to be like, they tested eight cups, but right. it's other stuff besides the cups, right. but the DNA evidence is what put it over the top. Okay. Um, so they they already have the DNA evidence, but they just need to match it. It's what's going on. No, now. well oh. they have the DNA evidence, but it's from eight cups that they found in the trash can. So they can't say Aaron Key sipped on this cup. But what they can say is one of these eight men raped these these girls. So they, the they DNA did, matches. They didn't match. So they did match. That's what I'm saying. They have a DNA match, but they don't know no. it's from. They don't know for sure it's from him. They just know it's from one of these eight guys. Right. But I mean, they already have the other. The, the one oh, side already, of yeah, the, they already that's had what I mean. DNA. Okay, they, right, they, okay. they took DNA right. from the girls. Right, okay, yes, right, right. Yes, that, sorry, yeah, was, there was a mix up there. Um So yeah, so uh they they got those cups, took them to the DNA testing, and within a couple of days the results confirmed that a sample taken from the lip of a cup from the police holding cell contained the same DNA as the as uh that of the East Harlem rapist and murderer. Hmm. By the time the test results were complete, Aaron Key had been released without bail on the misdemeanor computer theft charge. Cops learned that he had gone to Brownsville, Brooklyn, and picked up his 16-year-old girlfriend, Angelique Stallings, for what her parents thought was a Valentine's Day date. 
Instead, key and Stallings boarded a Florida-bound bus in Newark, New Jersey. Detectives feared Stallings faced the same fate as, as the other victims. Uh, after, get, after arriving in South Florida, Key twice phoned another girlfriend in New York. By then, his fugitive status as a suspected uh, serial killer had made the news, and the second girlfriend phoned the police with a tip that Key was staying in, at the Miami Sun Hotel two blocks from the beach on Northeast First Avenue in downtown Miami. Dude, so I, player. I would, yeah, I would imagine first. I would imagine that phone call went something like when he called and she probably heard of somebody in the background. She then called the police and was like, "Yes, hello, police. First of all, this <laughs> bitch ass motherfucker is in. Took some other bitch to uh, Florida, even though he told me he was gonna take me to Miami. So yeah, he's the serial killer. So go get him. He's at the Sun Hotel. Oh, Word is born. That was amazing. Thanks, man. I tried working <laughs> on my New York accent. Um, so the two New York detectives hurried there and stalked and staked out the hotel. When they spotted Key and Stallings strolling inside, a Miami-Dade SWAT team was called in. They found Key and Stallings hiding under a bed on the sixth floor. Uh, How do you convince your girl to get under the bed <laughs> with you? Like, yeah, no, they're coming for me. Like, you get under here too, though. Right. Hide with me. We, we're Bonnie and Clyde, right? Come on, man. I'm not getting under a bed for nobody. <laughs> I was a like, motel bed? <laughs> like, it's dirty <laughs> under there. But you hide under a bed, though. Like, you thought you was going to. Yeah, you thought they weren't going to check under the bed? <laughs> but they come in like, well, we saw him come up here, right. but he's not in here, so let's just go. Of course they're going to look under the bed and in the closet <laughs> before they leave. Ain't that smart. Yeah. That was the least smart <laughs> of all the things that I gave him credit for. He came for. up with all that shit, but yeah. you came up with hiding <laughs> under the bed. <laughs> After Key was safely in custody, Joseph Resnick, a ranking New York police officer, told reporters Aaron Key is is every young lady's worst nightmare. Apparently, his girlfriend did not know how dangerous he was and what kind of danger she was in, said Delrish Moss of the Miami-Dade Police. She had no clue he was wanted for those crimes. Key clammed up when the detectives tried to question him about the East Harlem crimes. But police gleefully watched and listened from behind a two-way mirror when they allowed Stallings into the interview room for what they thought would be a private goodbye. When Stallings demanded to know why he had committed the crimes, Key said he had bugged out and had a sickness. So there's a lot of trickery in this story. Mm. They were like, yeah, you can go ahead and say bye. And then they're on the other side of the mirror like, this fucking idiot. (laughs) Who doesn't know about a two-way mirror? Even in the 90s, like I thought everybody knew. Why would there just be a mirror? Right. In a, in like, a, in if somebody, I, I just, I don't understand. Why, how you, what other reason is there a mirror in this room? A big giant mirror that's as the size of one of the walls. Right. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> he was like, and then he just was like, thanks officers for letting me say goodbye to my girlfriend without any ulterior motive. I appreciate that. <laughs> Clearly y'all just love love and y'all right. want us to be able to say goodbye to each other. That's all y'all getting out of this, right? Anyway, sweetie. Yeah, I just did it because I was bugging out, B. Get him. She maybe she then. should be thinking the other girlfriend. Yeah, shit. Maybe she, she was in like, on it. Maybe she was like, "Yeah, no, I'll go in there and ask him why he did it." Fuck no, him. I mean, I mean the phone call. Oh yeah, because yeah. he might have right. That's, out what, and that's what I mean. Right, he might have right. bugged out on her. <laughs> uh, after a four month legal battle, Key was exo- was extra was I'm sorry. Key was extradited to New York and faced trial on 22 felony counts in four rapes in the murders of Paola Iera, Johalis Castro, and Rashida Washington. DNA evidence linked Key to six of the seven cases. In the seventh, in the seventh, wait, 
in the seventh, the murder of Iera, he was implicated by a pubic hair yep. that had been found on the victim and saved in the evidence room for nine years. Wow. So it's good, but they didn't lose it. That happens sometimes. That's good. I mean, even though they didn't test it for nine years, they probably wouldn't have came up with anything because he wasn't a big criminal. Uh-huh. But they kept it though, so that's good. Yeah, true. You know, you never these cold cases don't just be don't just give up on a case and throw shit out. Don't ever. I hope there aren't police departments that are like, well, this case hasn't been looked into for twenty years. Let's clear this. Uh, Fuck that. Let's clear this area Keep out. And throw away these hairs and this spit. Throw it out. We can't find any matches. Fuck it. Keep it. You never know. Just like that, the, the one that State, just happened, right? Golden State Killer, man. It's like 40 <laughs> years ago. Don't ever, yeah, hold on to the evidence. Uh, prosecutors John Irwin and Richard Plansky pres- uh, presented a devastating barrage of testimony and DNA evidence against Key at a trial in the, in the fall of 2000. They called 130 prosecution witnesses, including the two rape victims who recounted for an astonished courtroom audience Key's lucky and love me comments during the, the violent acts. So this guy was really getting his justice served to him. You know, mm-hmm. he got victims coming up to him, family coming up to him of the victims, rape uh, rape victims coming up to him and, and, and really getting to look him so in his eyes. To, so they got to see him, the ones that got away? They got to get on stand and say, that was that's him. That's him right there, piece of shit. Uh, All I need to do was hear his voice. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. They probably were like, read this. Re- say, tell me that you love me. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, that's him. Yep. But I'm sure they didn't even need that because they're stuck with that for the rest of their lives. Yeah. You know, so even with this guy got caught and all that kind of shit, the ones there are women dead as well. But like there are women who lived through that and now have to internalize that forever. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, they went and talked to somebody and I hope they found peace because right. that's I can't imagine somebody taking your dignity away like that. You know, it's a rough thing to get over, I'm sure. Uh uh so uh it was the it was one defense witness who stole the show key himself who insisted to his attorneys that he be the first defense witness to in the on the stand over two days of testimony key giggled like a schoolgirl, cried like a baby and expressed fury that the authorities would dare prosecute him his monologue largely uninterrupted by the judge the prosecutors or his attorneys covered such themes as pop culture, narcotics, rap music, jail food, and his deep thoughts on the criminal justice system. So this dude went up on the stand and just was just talking, you know, <laughs> just saying whatever. Yeah, man, I didn't think Life After Death was better than uh, the second Biggie Smalls album. I mean, I didn't think Life After Death was better than Ready to Die. I'm more of a Jay-Z fan than a Nas fan. What the this fuck prison are you talking food, about? This jail food is nasty. I don't really like it. Um, but, and he's laughing. Sometimes he would cry. For two days. He's crazy. For two days, they let this dude just dig his own grave. Just ramble on and prove that he's a fucking insane <laughs> piece of shit. But I'm sure it was insufferable. Like, oh my God. Like, right. Shut up. Right. What are you? What is your point? It's like a Kanye rant. Uh, just want to be the center of attention. Really? Mm-hmm. This guy had a very high opinion of yeah. himself. Uh, as many of his victims' loved ones watched on from the gallery with slack jaws, Key spun a bizarre tale explaining how he had come to be charged with brutal serial violence against young women. He claimed police had framed him to harvest... Wait, yeah, he, they had framed him to cover up a medical examiner's scheme to harvest and sell human organs. He explained that his DNA was planted 
in what he called genetic shuffling. Uh, the jury didn't buy it, obviously. And when the foreman announced a guilty verdict, the courtroom erupted in cheers and cries of yes. A few minutes later, he was being led away to await sentencing. Keith scowled towards the gallery and spat a profane curse at the entire assembly. I wasn't able to track down what he said, oh, but he man. but he had the nerve to be like, man, fuck y'all, or like whatever, you know, which is like, I would have jumped over that stand. Oh, and most definitely. Unleashed pain and suffering on his <laughs> jaw. Oh, my God. To have the nerve to be like, man, y'all can suck my dick. Or something like that, you know, as you're being led away from murder. I wouldn't, ima- I wouldn't imagine murder. how I would feel if... I can't imagine. I Let's don't not. even know. Let's not yeah. imagine. Uh, outside of court, some relatives of Key's victims charged up to a gaggle of reporters and demanded to know why the press had largely ignored the attacks as they were happening. Where were they in the beginning? One man shouted at reporters as friends restrained him. Because they always show up, you know, when the sensational shit is going on and the guy's caught and all this kind of shit. Why weren't you reporting when when Paola got murdered and snatched from her hotel building? Or when Joe Hollis was snatched away? Or when Rashida got killed in the same building as as Paola? Where Mm -hmm. were y'all then? Now y'all want to be here and the cameras are all out here and shit. So I understand all the pain of these people and being upset and feeling like, oh, now y'all want to be here. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so um, <clears throat> at sentencing a month later in January of 2001, relatives of the victims got a chance to address Aaron, uh, Aaron Key, also known as Ace. Uh, I hope you experience what it's like to not be able to sleep, to eat, to walk, to breathe, to not have a moment of peace. Thinking of my daughter suffering at the time of her death. This was a quote from Olga Iera, the mother of Paula, of Paola. Uh I will never learn to live without my daughter, who I brought to this country in search of the American dream. That's another quote from her. Uh, Gregory Washington, the father of Key's third victim, Rashida, tried to engage the killer with eye contact. Look at me, he said. Just once, turn around. And he wouldn't. Others in the gallery began to shout, turn around. But Key refused to meet this father's gaze. When his when his turn to speak came at the sentencing hearing, Key had lost the bravado and the had lost the bravado from his trial. He began to cry and muttered, "I'm sorry." With that, uh, oh, he 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 muttered, "I'm sorry." With that, a male cousin of Johalis Castro let out an angry roar and tried to leap over the bar to attack Key. The defendant was hustled out of the room of his for his own protection, and after a 15-minute interlude to calm the gallery, Justice Joan Sadolnik passed the sentence saying, I don't know what to say to someone who has no soul, no conscience, no morality, no heart. She sent him away forever. Three life sentences without the, po- without the possibility of parole for each of the three murders, plus an additional 400 years for the four rapes. He won't be missed, the cops said. He was a demon, said Detective Mike Ulaco. He just needed to be put away. So he ain't going to serve 40 years and none of that. He got 400 years for those rapes, and he got three life sentences for those murders. So he will never see the light of day. And that's the story of uh, Ace. Mm. What is his last name? I don't care what his last name is. 
also known as the East Harlem Rapist. Um, one of the, I haven't yeah. heard of that story. That was, yeah, it's that pretty was... nuts, right? One of the sickest things is they had to pass a law in New York in like 2009 because this dude was selling murderabilia. That's what they called it? That's what they called it. Wow. He was selling like cards. Bracelets. Oh. He was, he was selling cards that said like, take it like a woman. Or like the quotes that were famous from the trial, oh. he would write them on like Hallmark, like a Hallmark, handmade Hallmark card. He was Hallmark doing this in card. prison? Yeah, and selling them on the internet. Wow. He was selling his work his jail shirts food rappers because i think we like true crime but there are some people who are obsessed with killers and well, writing them they date them just like yeah, just yeah. like uh uh what was that uh the girl that married uh the dude from um uh what was that we watched we just you just said it earlier too it wasn't paradise lost though it, it was the paradise? one about the um the two kids it was um it was uh mm. paradise lost is about the west memphis three this was the one uh, oh. into the abyss. The oh woman, yeah. Yeah, 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 the woman yeah, yeah, had the woman right, married yeah, yeah, the guy yeah. while he was in jail. Yeah, yeah man, yeah. there's a market for it apparently. But they had to pass a law because this dude was making money <laughs> off selling his fucking crazy serial killer shit. Wow. Yeah. Um. Yeah, man. This was this was these were two rough ones. Again, I yeah. I, I want to say good job on your story. I think you did a very good job yeah, this week. I, 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 I just also I was thinking about like even if you had the chance to attack this guy. That killed a family member that close. It it still wouldn't wouldn't bring them nothing. Back. Nothing will equal the pain and suffering no. you have for the rest of your life that you lost that person. No. So it's like it almost in a in a fucked up way. It's like he still wins, right? He, he you never will get to one up what he did to you, right? Exactly. You know? Yeah, man, it's fucked up. Uh, right. yeah. Um, this is this is the first episode where I'm like, well, maybe we should do the good vibes at the end. That was dark. That was a rough one. Yeah, that was a rough one. But you know, it's stuff that needs to be. I'm looking forward about. to that cake though. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah we gotta get to that Gigi butter cake. <laughs> All right, folks. Yeah, this one ran a little bit long, but we're gonna get out of here. Uh, this has been another episode of Affirmative Murder. I've been Alvin Williams alongside my partner in true crime, Franco Evans. Catch y'all next time. Deuces. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.